Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Aon Pritchard, Global Strategy Consultant, founder of Art Science Technology and author of the fabulous thought-provoking books, Where Did It All Go Wrong? Adventures in the Dunning-Kruger Peak of Advertising and his latest, Shot by Both Sides, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Welcome, Eon. Uh, well, thank you for having me, Darren. Very nice to, uh, not to say to be here, but of course it's nice for you to be here as well because this is... <laughs> I've come to visit you. Yeah, and we're both in someone else's place, but there we go. <laughs> well, what, I, um, what I have trouble with the, the latest book mm. is actually saying what we have here is a failure to communicate without mm. putting on a deep southern accent. Oh, so you know where it comes from. <laughs> as, as a homage to Cool Hand Luke. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there was actually, there's a chapter. What I tried to make this one a bit like, you know, the um, any sort of Led Zeppelin fans will, will know that the album called, uh, oh, is it Houses of the Holy? But I can't remember, there's the, one of the albums is called that, but the track that's the same name as the album is not on that album, it's in a different album, right? So <laughs> so the chapter, what we have here, the failure to communicate, that was the start of the book, actually never made it to the final cut. So, because uh, it just it just didn't seem to fit. So it'll probably be in the next one. So that's my... And years from now, people will be looking, scholars will be looking exactly. back on your work, yes, your yeah. body of work, and they'll be going, now what was the deep significance right, of actually yeah, yeah. dropping that and yeah. putting it in the next and, and I'm looking forward to finding out what that was <laughs> uh, when, they, when they tell me. So. It, it's one of the issues, isn't it, with hu- the human brain is yeah. that we like making sense of things that often yeah. there is no sense. There's no sense, yeah. You know, you know, people say to me what the book's about, and I say, well, one's about 220 pages, and the other one's about 260. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I think that's possibly, that's why that chapter never made it, because it was just, uh, it, it was getting beyond, uh, you know, what I thought the optimum size of the book uh, should be, you know. So. so, look, I have to tell you that I've read both of them, right. and they are terrific pieces of work. Thank in you. that they've captured almost a reflective moment in time. Yeah. The first one, uh, I think it's reasonable to say, is autobiographical. It's your journey through the yeah. awakening of, you know, what's it all mean and yeah. where did it go wrong? Definitely. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that is correct because, uh, you know, people, I've had criticism from people who haven't read the book but have just read the cover, you see, and, they th- and, uh, and they're saying, you know, who do you think you are, you know, saying that the ad industry is, you know, Dunning-Kruger effect. I say, it's about me. And if you read that chapter, you know, that is my story, you know. But I was, you know, got to the point where I, you know, I was sort of, uh, there's an old sort of Buddhist uh, proverb, which is, um, uh, what is it, Uh, about, uh, well, it's about uh, the uh, wise man knows he's, uh, stupid, but a stupid man thinks he's wise, or something like that. So, I, I and that this, pretty much sums up the yeah. Dunning Kruger effect, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had that sort of moment, you know, and then uh, 
uh, I just sort of remembered that, you know, and a few things sort of, I'd, I'd written a few things and they, they seemed to sort of join together and that just really became became that book. But but you're right, I mean, it's it's, it's very much my own uh, story mm. of, of uh, just having a moment of, uh, of you know, realising my own incompetence, you know. Yeah. But I don't think you're alone, you know, and, and in some ways, yeah. you know, I think the, the part where you talk about going and presenting the importance of social media yeah. to a business and everyone yeah. just sits there and, you know, I think yeah. someone handed you a copy of Byron Sharp's book and that, said, that, uh, that you know, read yeah. this and come back when you understand it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say it was about two years before I was back, you know, because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that was, I think it was, I mean, it was hot off of the press because this was 2010, uh, just when I first came to Australia. And, uh, yeah, I got wheeled out to, uh, well, people... I'll probably be able to, if I don't name names, you'll be able to sort of join the dots. So I got wheeled out to Ballarat uh, to the headquarters of a major FMCG organisation uh, who, get, uh, after I'd done the talk, you know, that a kindly sort of brand manager, you know, put that book in my bag and said, uh, uh, and said read that. So um, you'll probably guess who that is. But um, yeah, but, that, uh, but even then, you know, because I read uh, through that probably still in denial, you know, for for probably about a year, um, but then eventually, just faced with evidence, you know, um, you you just you change your mind. You know? And I do wonder. You know, I think it's actually it can be quite risky to change your mind. You know, and I think that's why maybe some bad ideas prevail uh, in in the industry. You know, because uh, it can it can be career limiting. You know, to not uh, continue. You know, with with things as they are. Well, we see this all the time. You know, where marketers, especially, you know, are doing the same thing over and over again, yeah. expecting a different outcome. Yeah, you know? and and that's a, a famous quote. Yeah. Often attributed to Albert Einstein, you know, yeah. insanity is yeah. is doing the same thing over and over again, uh, expecting a different outcome. The thing is that it takes so much courage mm. to strike out into somewhere new. In fact, um, John Mortimer, who wrote Rumpold of the Bailey, oh, yeah. wrote a book called Clinging to the Wreckage, an autobiography. Right. And uh, he says, you know, the, the metaphor of clinging to the wreckage is it's always easier to cling to the wreckage of your life right. than it is to strike out and swim for shore because, yeah. you know, there could be sharks, it might be too far yeah. and you could drown. I think yeah. it's almost a human nature, a preservation to yeah, well, not want to challenge the status quo. So definitely in certain contexts. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I think I sort of, because I touch on this in, in the second book, where I, I take a little bit of issue with some of the proponents of uh, behavioural economics, you know, which has become very popular uh, uh, because, uh, you know, you can just uh, pull out sort of uh, uh, biases uh, and say, well, humans are loss-averse, for instance, or risk-averse. It's like, well, yes, in certain circumstances. But, um, you know, in in our business, you know, if everyone was loss-averse and risk-averse, nobody would pitch for a, for a new piece of business you know, because it costs you know because you're almost certain to fail uh, and it costs a heap of money um, so that's the context where we're not risk averse or loss averse you know. except that I could reframe that Amy, right. and say that if they don't pitch they've lost 
because the opportunity's there yeah. and they're pitching for the opportunity, yeah. even though the, the, you know, rationally that the, uh, the odds of pulling this off yeah. are, are long, mm -hmm. they, they see that if they don't pitch for it, the odds yeah. are zero. Well, well, that's it. But we're also, you know, we're attracted to the potential payoffs of uncertainty, uh, the same as we, uh, you know, modify things on perceived loss. So, but that, but that's my my point with the cut and dried nature of uh, this bias, that bias, that bias is because it, 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 you know, yes, they exist, but in certain circumstances, it goes out the window. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's uh, that uh, dichotomy of they say people don't like change, mm. but we're attracted to the new. Yeah. Yeah, we like the novelty and yeah. the, the interest of something new, mm -hmm. and yet we don't like change. Yeah. It's a it's a, a contradiction. It's a, yeah. a paradox. Well, that's it. And but, but in advertising, one of the things we used to say, you know, is what we do is make uh, make the new seem familiar and the familiar seem new, um, and to to get that balance of uh, novelty and familiarity, I guess that's the perfect thing. If you can if you can juggle that, that's the perfect product. You know. Exactly. Especially when you talk about, um, you know, what's that, uh, the the early adopters, you know, the sort of uh, adoption the, yeah, curve. Diffusion of innovations yeah. curve or something, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you need to, you know, it's no point going after early adopters because they're such a small group and they'll move on to the next thing yeah. anyway. Yeah. You want that big yeah. lump in the middle, yeah. which is where you make your money and yeah. that uh, businesses or brands that spend all their time being at the cutting edge. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe the thought, you know, the leaders in their category, yeah. but they're never going to necessarily yeah. cash in big time. Uh, well, that's it. I mean, one of the things I see, you know, because a lot of my clients now that I'm independent are, are smaller businesses, you know, and they all want to, to uh, you know, how do we innovate in our category and everything? And I, I say, well, listen, it's not your job to drive the category, right? So just watch what's going on, even in different categories, and then follow that. Being a fast follower, when you're small is a great strategy you know, because you let the bigger people you know make the mistakes and then you can pick up the pieces uh, and run with it after that and even big you know big retailers that i work with you know that's they deliberately you know i've heard planners go in there and say you're going to do this and you're going to be the first to ever do it and that's just the Great way to kill an idea, you know, is to, <laughs> is to yeah, uh, you know. Well, I've written about that. You know, one of the, the phrases I hate is yeah. best practice. Yeah. Because when you put forward an idea that is perhaps new or mm. different, and uh, the f very next question is, what well, is this best practice? Mm. And you go, well, what do you mean? They go, well, who else has done it? They mm. don't actually mean best practice. Yeah. The word should, the phrase should be common practice. Because yeah. I want security mm. of knowing that other people that I know, yeah. respect and admire yeah. have embraced this. Then I'll have the courage to actually try something yeah. different. So I had one of those when I was, I was director of innovation. Uh, uh, Sorry? Director of Innovation. Yeah. What a great title. Yeah, for, for my sins. I mean, but that was, uh, you know, uh, uh, a while ago, uh, uh, another agency. But, you know, so that was my, part of my job was to bring new things, uh, you know, uh, to to the attention of the rest of the people. And I would often get that question, this is this is very interesting, and this is fantastic. Uh, do you have any examples of where it's been done before? I said, well, uh, no, because... <laughs> Because it hasn't it's been done. Innovative. It's innovative. Yeah, it's, a, it's a new combination of things that hasn't been done. So, yeah.
It's a bit like the, the phrase that the advertising industry loves, yeah. or the, the word creativity. Yeah. Because, you know, some people try and equate creativity with innovation. Yeah. Uh, when in actual fact, it's probably more like creativity in the in the terms of the entertainment industry, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. There's a, you know, I think creativity and innovation are close cousins. Um, but what, you know, I guess the confusion uh, in this business uh, comes with... Uh, you know, not uh, with confusing creativity in its purest sense with commercial creativity, which has got is supposed to have business outcomes. Uh, so, so if something doesn't, you know, uh, uh, if if we have incorrect objectives, uh, then uh, the piece of creativity uh, can be the most you know creative thing, uh, you know, exciting, entertaining. But if it doesn't do things like, you know, give category cues and actually feature branding uh, and, you know, be consistent with previous creativity, then as a you know, piece of commercial creativity, then it, it hasn't done its, uh, done its job. Mm. And, uh, but I think, uh, I mean, maybe sort of alluding to you, because in, in, in the second book, I kind of, um, uh, one of the, the sort of two parallel kind of narratives, which is looking at the, the history Tracing back through the history of sort of modern art and postmodern art to the to the kind of uh, roots of that, and we land in sort of uh, you know in the early twentieth century with Marcel Duchamp and stuff, and you can you can sort of trace that thread all the way through uh, through Warhol and Rauschenberg, you know, to a lot of the sort of conceptual art uh, of today. Um, but the there's sort of lessons from that that you know that it's taken over a hundred years for the advertising industry to sort of to to catch up with that kind of uh, conceptually what those artists were doing back in 1910 and they think they've invented something. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, I do like the uh, the Warhol um, mm-hmm. uh, Burger King example. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, by t- finding that piece of film yeah. of Andy Warhol eating a Whopper, yeah. and then turning that into a um, what's this, a Super Bowl ad, yeah. and you said it was almost art because you know if they'd used it for a purpose that wasn't its purpose. Yeah. Well, I think it's a dilemma you, you, you call it, which is which it is what it is not. Yeah, yes. it also is what That's it is. It. You yeah. know? And I and I because when I, when I first saw it, you know, immediately uh, that that it came out, and I thought, oh my goodness, they've they've done it, they've done it. But then they just spoiled it right at the end because by putting the end frame on and a and a silly hashtag, all of a sudden it became an ad. Uh, and yet, and then they had a um, uh, like a consumer activation, didn't they? Yeah, With uh, film yeah. yourself looking like that's Andy right. Warhol. Yeah, yeah I, you can just see the brand manager sitting there going, "Yeah, yeah, it's good, but yeah. we need the people to do something so yeah. we know that they actually saw the ad." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. What, what I'm really hoping is that you know the agency that, that did it. I'm really hoping that it went like they came in. And they said, "Here's what we're doing for the Super Bowl, right? We're just going to take this piece of film. We're just going to run it. There's going to be no end for." There's going to be no call action. There's not going to be nothing, and it's just going to be such a dramatic Burger King statement that's going to stand out from every other ad that's trying not to be an ad uh, that we've managed to be an ad and not an ad at the same time uh, without playing their game. You know, I mean, that would be how I would have kind of sold it. So I'm hoping 
That's what the agency did. And then it got compromised by some, you know, 24 year old in the Burger King marketing team that said, we must have, uh, we must have some kind of Instagram uh, integration. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, social media is the hot topic, yeah. isn't it? You know, yeah. every brand wants to have some sort of social media activation, yeah. Instagram or, you know, yeah. Facebook or something. Uh, almost as if to engage, yeah. to get that mental and physical availability. Yeah. They have to have social media because yeah. that seems to be their only option. Yeah. Well, I think what's now that sort of uh, that social media sort of matured uh, a little bit. I think some of the smarter brands and agencies are really understanding that it's uh, you know if you put something out into the world, uh, that acts as a sort of trigger for. Uh, discussion, but it's not like you know, hit like if you love cheese or something. It's it's <laughs> it's something as prosaic as that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and uh, you know, Burger King, of course, are uh, you know, I I'm not sure if I, you know, their kind of trolling McDonald's strategy gets a bit sort of tiresome, but you can't argue with the fact that it generates uh, publicity within social media, and so. Um, because I, I sort of compare it to uh, the the idea of the pseudo event, you know, which mm. was an idea that was sort of coined in the sixties um, about uh, uh, how news was generated, right? So particularly in politics, uh, the press releases would be announced, uh, you know, and the the, the whole it, it wasn't the fact that these the things that were being announced were particularly important. But they were enough to catch the attention of uh, of news journalists, you know. So it's kind of, um, I think, you know, where the, the people like Nike and Burger King understand that, and it's a kind of hybrid PR uh, advertising type uh, uh, approach because it's so hard to reach people now through, you know, television, for instance, would still be a fantastic brand building medium if there was anyone watching. <laughs> there, there are people watching it. It's just yeah. that they're not necessarily the audience yeah. that marketers seem to yeah. think that they want. I mean, you know, against older yeah. groups, older yeah. demographics, yeah. You know, the baby boomers yeah. still watch television. Yeah. They well, may not watch as much as the previous yeah. generation yeah. who sat there in retirement yeah. you know, doing nothing but watching television, but they're watching. Yeah. The trouble is the baby boomers, who also seem to have most of the money yeah. you know, as that yeah. big population comes through, and not the sweethearts of most advertisers. Yeah. I think the difficulty is, though, I think, you know, because um, it's not to say people don't watch uh, television, but I think viewing's much more concentrated around, there's been a sort of real double jeopardy effect, you know, of like where the, you know, certain channels have the majority of the audience and certain programming within those channels. So, uh, so you know, there's, uh, so I know this, there's inventory that can be bought. Uh, you know, for for next to nothing, you know, but it's because there's next to no audience. But if you want to get in, like the big rating programs or the news or something, then uh, then you have to you have to pay for that. You know? And so, so this this is what I was uh, mm. you know, mentioned um, before was this thing of oh well, TV doesn't work, so we need to go to digital. Well, yeah, yeah TV works. You've just got to work harder yeah. at yeah. finding the programming. 
yeah. finding the yeah. environments that are going to index higher for yeah. your audience yeah. because you don't want to pay for the wastage. Exactly. Yeah, but if your audience is in those programs yeah. and they're you know, doing X and Y and Z, yeah. this is where your channel planning comes from is well, that's actually it. knowing where they are and what they're consuming yeah. More often than anyone else. Yeah. Well, that's why, because you know, you know, because news is by far, you know, particularly in the last year as well. Because I think, I think, because uh, I read uh, some numbers. Because actually, you know, TV news viewing is actually one that is a huge growth hmm? uh, thing at the moment. Because you know, people get up in the morning, right? How many people, you know, how many new infections are there today? You know, uh, so uh, you know, I think to to in that sort of you know, hour of primetime news, you know, on, on, you know, Channel 9 or whatever, I mean, you pay a premium uh, to get in there. But if you can become the news story, then you get that audience by default. So that's why Mouldy Whoppers and, you know, Nike, whatever their latest controversy is, you know, th these are things that generate uh, news. You know, there was a lot of catchphrase going about a couple of years ago, everything is PR. Uh, and I think, you know, definitely that's, uh, you know, uh, more true than ever uh, now. So have you heard of outrage marketing? No. Okay, so it's a new term. Right. I, I discovered it by accident. I right. was uh, Googling away and suddenly got outrage marketing. Right. It's a, uh, it, it, they used Nike's um, uh, Colin Captain yeah. yeah. and Gillette yeah. as prime examples of brands deliberately taking a position yeah on some sort of social issue, knowing that it will cause outrage yeah. Yeah. in a percentage of people yeah. and hoping that yeah. their supporters, brand supporters, yeah. will come to the defence. Yeah. So it's it's almost deliberately encouraging mm -hmm. conflict yeah. on social media. Yeah. But, you know, that, that's the thing. But what it does is generates publicity and, and what, you know, there's no such thing as... You know, as bad uh, publicity, uh, I think. So it's kind of, uh, um, yeah, I think that's part of a sort of uh, sort of tactic to get reported on. Because if you you know if you can't reach people through the uh, through conventional advertising channels, even digital, uh, you know, despite the promise, you know, of uh, the ultimate sort of direct marketing machine. You know, I mean, depending on what statistics you believe, but uh, there's so much uh, you know, is riddled with uh, fraud. Uh, so you can't really believe uh, any of those numbers. And, and is a sort of banner impression the same as the, you know, something on a you know, 55-inch uh, screen? It, it's Over. sad because the, uh, the old copywriters and art directors that mm. when I got in, you know, first yeah. got into advertising would say, ah, oh, tricks, stunts and novelties. Tricks, right. stunts, you know, yeah. the, what, the old skills of having a strategy and yeah. um, developing ideas and yeah. crafting copy yeah. and layout to attract yeah. attention has been re replaced. But there's still a need, isn't there, for yeah. a very clear strategy. Yeah, well, absolutely. But, I mean, to be honest, what was it, tricks? Stunts and novelties. Yeah, not a lot wrong with, with, with that, <laughs> uh, even today, you know. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, on the one hand, I mean, I'm bound to say this because strategy is kind of what I do. I think it's important. Um, it's, I think it gets overcomplicated uh, as well. You know, I think uh, if I see another sort of uh, unique uh, 
strategic development model, you know, I was sort of, you know, I still use the, um, you know, JWT planning guide from 1976. Where are we? Why are we there? Where do we want to be? Yeah, and how do we get there? You know, it's pretty... I use that in my life. Yeah. Yeah, So so there's no need to reinvent uh, uh, those those kind of wheels. You know, I think... uh, um, uh, the, the also, uh, you know, the other thing is the kind of the way that the that the idea of consumer insight has just become such a lot of waffle, um, you know, just made up statements. You know, I remember, I mean, because um, the last uh, last sort of job that I did um, was in a media agency. And uh, this is actually for any youngsters listening to this. You know, I often get asked, uh, you know, how, do, how am I going to sort of break into uh, into you know advertising strategy and all that? And I say, well, first thing you want to do, even if you want to end up in a creative agency, is uh, get a job in a media agency mm. because you'll get to you know, because the media agency will have a load of clients and there'll be a different creative agency that serves each of those clients and you will get to see all of their material. So that's how you can. You know, you can, you know, just learn extra things on the job, just see what the rest of them do. But one thing that seems to be common throughout all of that is uh, this idea of consumer insight that has just gone um, completely nonsensical and just made up uh, things, you know. So I guess, you know, this is what I do in my business now is try and help, uh, I mean, I can help uh, clients directly or agencies with, with, that sort of side of it, of, of keeping it simple and having actual proper insights from human nature that are that are actionable. You know, you can do something with it, not just made up statements from uh, you know uh, time poor mums. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. they've become stereotypical yeah. cliches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, one of the things. Uh, uh, and going back to the book, mm. uh, Shot by Both Sides, mm. you talk about it as being, not in the book, but you, there's a sort of a piece written about it being mm. about connections. Mm. Yeah, and I find that really interesting because one of my favourite definitions of creativity mm. is finding new connections yeah. that haven't been found yeah. before. But what I like about the book is that there are historical connections Mm -hmm. and also new ideas coming out of that Mm -hmm. or new ways of seeing things, new framing, I guess. Is this the way you work? Have you found that this is almost the way your brain processes information, is looking for connections? Definitely. I mean, one of the um, big sort of revelation to me was realising that there there is nothing new under the sun. There are only new combinations. Uh, and essentially, that's what creativity is: is is, is uh, noticing things and and making connections between them. And the most creative people tend to be the ones that make, can make the most uh, connections. You know, as you say, there was a little. Uh, it's not in the book, but um, there was a, a thing. Um, a guy uh, David Hearn. Do you know David Hearn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that used to work with. He used to he used to use the story, and always liked to. But I didn't put it in the book because I thought he would then. Claim it as his, you know. So. <laughs> but, uh, but it's a it's a good story. A it? copyright issue. Yeah, it's a good story nonetheless. But he, he said uh, uh, he said that he was listening to um, uh, Noel Gallagher right, from uh, mm. Oasis talking about songwriting, 
and uh, and Bill Gallagher had said basically it's like going to the river every day and fishing, and you and you have to turn up because that's where the the, the fish are. You know the ideas. You know? He said uh, he he always regrets that one day he didn't go fishing, and Chris Martin from Coldplay went to the river and fa- and hooked a yellow, and he said it wasn't that wasn't right because that was an Oasis song <laughs> that Chris Martin got. You know so. And other people say that. I mean, in, in the books, you know, I use like, you know, lots of different pop culture references and stuff. That's just my lens. You know? And people like Bob Dylan and Neil Young as well are the songwriters. You know, they say that. They say the only talent they've got is being able to uh, just open up a part of their mind and let the ideas drop in. You know? it, it's a very popular definition of creativity mm. in all its forms. Mm. Is you know, some people say that you have an antenna right. that you get the signals, and yeah. and it's um, sometimes used to explain why you know one idea may suddenly appear in three or four different places. Yeah. It's almost like it's an idea whose time has come. That's right. Yeah. It's but whoever's first to make make the the connection. Yeah. But it's also could be because, you know, the circumstances yeah. of those combinations bring about an alignment. Yeah. You know, that the world, you know, one of the things I love is the study of complexity theory. Right. You know, because we do live in a complex world. Yeah. Anyone that thinks of, you know, it being simple or, yeah. or complicated is yeah. fooling themselves that things are changing yeah. and they're changing under so many different influences that combinations, you know, much like the kaleidoscope yeah. as a simple metaphor, you know, suddenly a pattern appears well, and everyone that's, that's looking good. for it goes, there's the pattern. I, t- I just read a book by a, a physicist called Brian Green. Uh, it's called The End of Time. And uh, uh, it contains a really big idea. You know, I think uh, it's not been that many really big ideas in science or whatever lately, but he call, it's, it's around entropy, so he calls it the entropic two-step uh, or something. But basically, uh, you know, I'm going into physics, you know, did you see the audience like this? Oh, no. <laughs> well, I, I have a science background. Oh, right, I, okay. I've got a science degree, I've worked right, in medical yeah. research, you know, I love this stuff. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, it's quite a sort of dark uh, book because it, it plots, you know, when the when the universe will actually end, and I think they found a point in time. Uh, luckily, it's in a couple of billion years, so yeah. you know, it's we'll be beyond care. Yeah. Yeah. We'll probably wipe ourselves yeah. out anyway. Uh, but you know, it's and, and it's tied to the idea of sort of chaos. You know, that, that actually patches of order uh, just appear to be order, uh, but but in any chaotic situation, there's bound to be stuff that looks like order but that doesn't mean it's order it's just chaos that looks ordered you know um and so you know i guess that's uh you know one that what a sort of uh you know slogan that i occasionally have you know when when talking about you know creativity and where you know where ideas come from it's like cultivate randomness mm. you know because the more randomness more random connection you make um some order will uh, will appear. You know, it's the monkeys and typewriters kind of thing. Well, that, and that's what they mm. say: the mm. the boundary between complexity and chaos. You know, yeah. As as you move through uh, increasing entropy, yeah. more disorder. Yeah. There's this boundary where uh, creativity is optimized yeah. because the randomness is optimized before it goes into complete chaos. Yeah. Because in chaos, there is no ability for human beings to yeah. see patterns. Yeah. 
This is why we call it chaos, because yeah. it's beyond our comprehension. Yeah. Even the authors, you know, that talk about the butterfly effect and things yeah. like that, they're trying to make sense of chaos. Yeah. But the reason we call it that is because we can't make yeah. sense of it. Yeah. And, and look, I think it's really important. I think, uh, you know, that you might uh, think that people don't or don't have an interest in this. Yeah. But I think anyone that is using analysis, creativity, yeah. uh, has to at some point want to understand yeah. the mechanism that underpins all this. Yeah. You know, in some ways you, you would lack the, um, the personal awareness if you didn't want to understand why things work yeah. the way they do. Well, this is it. And in the first book, you know, I sort of, you know, seem to be sort of critical of, uh, of kind of, you know, millennials or Gen Z or whatever. But I think, you know, it's, it's partly because um, that kind of inquiry, you know, has, uh, they're not being directed in the, in the right place to look for, uh, uh, you know, answers. It's just like, it's the internet has been a, you know, internet has been great. Uh, for so many things, but it's also been bad because it's, it gives uh, creates a level playing field for wrong information, uh, and particularly in marketing and advertising, because things have, um, you know, there, there are so many gurus now uh, online, and you know, and all that, all that stuff is so easy, you know, for for youngsters, you know, to get distracted by, uh, and then, you know. And then they, they come into agencies and, and because there's, you know, you know, boomers or, you know, Gen Xers that, that, that haven't bothered to keep up, then they think that, that this, uh, the, the, the stuff that the young people are coming in that they've read second and third hand off the internet is the, is the way to go. And it creates this kind of... Um, Self-perpetuating yeah, yeah, uh, misinformation. I, uh, I think it, it was a bit in the shot by both sides book, you know, where I uh, I, I never coined this, uh, but uh, somebody else did. But I thought uh, I, I'd done it after, and I thought it was it was mine, but uh, it turns out it wasn't. Which was the bullshit industrial complex, <laughs> where it's this just this machine that perpetuates, you know, that you know you get sort of, you know, first, second, and third level gurus each repeating. The, the stuff from the other way down, you know, and it just becomes this uh, uh, spiral of crap. You know? Well, uh, and they do build communities. Yeah. You know, um, Gary V has his community that follow his, you know, mm. sort of philosophies. And, you know, mm. Byron Sharp's got yeah. his community and, and Mark Ritson's got yeah. his community. Yeah. But it's no different to people having all these followers. Yeah. I think the problem is that we forgot about critical thinking. Well, that's right. And, and to, be that, on, to be honest, you know, because Gary V gets, uh, you know, it's, it's quite fashionable to, to have a pop at him, you know, but he's kind of, you know, I think culturally, you know, we're, you know, we're in Melbourne, we're not in New Jersey, you know what I mean? <laughs> but that's, uh, you know, he's like straight out of that. That's how you survive in, in, in that thing. But, I, you know, I don't have any problem with him because, you know, he's the real fool, you know, he's he's got a, you know, Vayner Media right across the world and everything, so he's doing something right. But it's the it's the people that parrot his stuff second and third hand. That's where the, the, the problem is, you know. But I think it's also the problem is that, yes, there's these, let's call them schools of thought, mm. okay? 
I'm not sure they're schools, you know, because yeah. one of my favourite quotes is, you know, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got, got one, one. Yeah. but we all think each other stinks. <laughs> um, that's actually the end of that. Uh, <laughs> that's the end of that quote. Yeah. But um, that people are inclined to jump on to one yeah. and think that that is the answer to everything. Mm. You know, that uh, I, I think uh, marketing and advertising suffers a little bit, like mm. from you know, in physics. They're looking for the great unifying theory of the universe, mm. the one theory that will mm. explain every mm. phenomena. In marketing and advertising, I think there's a a desire to find the one strategy yeah. Yeah. that works yeah. for every brand. Yeah. Is it Gary V? Should I be doing everything on yeah. Facebook and with videos? Yeah. Is it... Uh, is it uh, Byron Sharp? You know, I yeah. need television and and on regular you know yeah. updates and and or is it uh, yeah. uh, Mark Ritson's segmentation and, yeah. and customer insight driven yeah. marketing? Yeah, you know, which one should it be? And why can't you, as a strategist, tell me which one's the right one? Yeah. I mean, that, you know, it's kind of could be a com- combination of any number of those things you know i think the baron sharp uh, stuff you know i think uh, that's another thing that's greatly misunderstood i think because uh, all, you know all the way through that they don't make any great sort of claims about this particular media or that no. particular, you know, no, but, i meant it from yeah. the popular you know, yeah. interpretation of whatever yeah. but he does say you need to be constantly yeah. in the marketplace yeah. targeted against your light Users, yeah, category buyers, yeah, basically. category buyers, yeah, yeah, because there's no point marketing to heavy users, yeah, well, that's right, they're going they're, to buy anything because they're going to buy, they're going and to how buy much anything. more can they yeah. buy, yeah, and of course, you know, I mean, and the other thing is, there's um, you know, because there's new people coming, you know, particularly FMCG categories, there's new people coming into the category all the time, mm-hmm. and, and there's people falling out, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like it's a sort of continuous. Cycle, you know, but what, uh, it's funny. This, uh, you know, this is the, this is the thing that comes up every time a sort of digital economy brand starts advertising on TV. You know, it, uh, people come out going, "Aha! You see, they're on TV." You know, but uh, you know, part you know, part of what that does, um, you know, th- for TikTok, for instance, you know, they know very well that they're not, uh, you know, the the, the point uh, of that is just to say to people. Hey, look! You've heard of us, right? But we are actually a big, stable, reputable company now, right? Because look at the amount of money we can afford to throw down on this big TV campaign uh, that we know is not really gonna, uh, you know, bring us any users. It's just uh, it just brings them credibility in the in the marketplace, um, because uh, it's sort of a conspicuous waste. Uh, and everyone's done it before them. You know, I remember a few years ago going to. Um, I was sitting at this uh, breakfast seminar thing that was run by Pandora when they were still in this country and Spotify. Uh, and this was for media people, uh, media buyers and planners. So I was sitting there and they were, go- and, you know, and we got this big long lecture about the precision targeting qualities of their, uh, of their platform, you know. And it was all very interesting. And then and at the end, uh, this woman sort of spoke up and uh, you know, she'd just been sat there at the back, didn't look particularly trendy or like media type, you know, she just put her hand up and she said, uh, I wonder if uh, Pandora and Spotify can tell us what they're doing to build their brand. And without, of course, batting an eyelid, they said, oh, well, actually, you know, we're, we're uh, doing in-store 
uh, Radio with Woolworths and we've partnered with, uh, you know, for outdoor advertising with this telco or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. So that's it. The future of digital is, uh, you know, is out of home. You know? <laughs> well, there was a recent, uh, I, I love Freakonomics. Mm. I just love the challenge, the way they challenge yeah. the conventional wisdom, you know, yeah. it appeals to the iconoclast in me. Mm. But uh, they, there was a recent episode, uh, episode 440 and 441, yeah. where does advertising actually work? I, I listened to those. Yeah, I ended up in an argument with them on Twitter, to be honest, but the Freakonomics people. So. <laughs> but it was, it, you know, yeah. they, and I saw a big, long discussion chain yeah. of people, you know, challenging yeah. them. But, yeah. you know, I, I love the fact that they're willing to challenge people. Yeah, you know, yeah. they were because in that, it, it, to the very first point or the early point that we yeah. started talking about, you yeah. know, to get people to actually question yeah. and let go exactly. of what they've always done until mm. there is evidence that it's actually working. Yeah, yeah. But then you know, with economics, you know, it was kind of uh, it was slightly a circular argument because you know, I bet they gained many, many subscribers. But because of the, you know, being able to reach a new part of the audience that, you know, so lots of people in advertising that maybe didn't know much about them, but all of a sudden everyone's everyone's listening now. So it's, and it was kind of, you know, coming back to what we were talking about earlier on, about outrage mm. marketing, that's exactly what they were doing, you know. But this, and it was the second episode mm. of the podcast mm -hmm. and the, the example that I really thought hit home was the guy saying, eBay buying eBay as a short yeah. as a search term yeah. is a flawed strategy, yes. and yet they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's lots of advertisers yeah. out there that are buying their own brand, yeah. even the, though yeah. if they've set themselves up on their yeah. SEO, yeah. it's going to be at the top anyway. Well, but this is this is Google being crafty, you know, because they've because uh, they'll allow competing brands to bid against brand names. So if you don't buy your own brand in search terms, then a competitor will buy yours and they'll appear above you. So the, the only one that wins is Google, you know. Yeah. Except that you've got that panel on the, if you've set yourself up yeah. properly, a company yeah. will get the panel on the right side. So the ads are just on the left. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you can own the panel. Yeah. But what I'm saying yeah. is there are strategies yeah. that people should be implementing yeah if this is important to them. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is I think one of the biggest uh, issues, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, but fear of missing out, yeah. FOMO, yeah. seems to have a huge impact on marketing and advertising when it comes to strategy. Yeah, well, it's kind of, uh, it's a bit like whenever, you know, a few years ago, whenever there was uh, some, a new technology platform appeared, there was always a race between all of the various social media experts to see who could be the first to write a book about it, you know, like Google Plus or something, mm. you know. And, uh, you know, again, but it's that thing, uh, you know, with, with some brands, it's whether their strategy is to follow or, or, or to want to be the first. Mm. You know? So I think, uh, I think it, I would generally say, uh, in, unless you're, unless you're Coca-Cola and you can splash around a kind of uh, test and learn budget that's 10 times the bigger of the, of the, of the competitor's total, budget then it's probably better to to wait and see mm. uh, but just coming back to the freakonomics thing uh, for a minute because i think there's there's definitely some merit in the argument and this is the sort of byron sharp argument that search is not advertising anyway it's physical availability it's shelf space mm. uh, because someone's in the mind to 
you know, some trigger has already happened that they that they're in the purchasing frame of mind, and then they go and search. You know, so you know, uh, so if you know, if you take that point of view, then then free economics saying well, advertising doesn't work because of all of this report on how search behaviour works. Say, well, it's not advertising, mm. so it's something maybe something else doesn't work but it's not advertising you're talking about it's something else you know? well and, and is it um field of benign uh, mm. now saying that search is actually a good measure of yeah. a brain's saliency in yeah. the marketplace that when you see search yeah. terms for your brain go up yeah. it means that yeah. you're, in, you're owning more of that available space exactly i mean they've sort of codified that but that's always i mean anyone listening that's uh, been in media agencies will know that that's a, that's something that's been well known as a sort of proxy you know for a long a long time right you don't have the available data just as a rule of thumb you can just compare uh, category search terms and that gives you a, an idea of where they where they sit in the category so that that's kind of been well known uh, for a while but they've they've sort of built some more uh, stuff around it um, yeah. Uh, Ian, we've uh, run out of time, unfortunately. Okay. It's gone so quickly. I just want to cover off. Um, so, if you know, I'd absolutely recommend people get your books. Okay. Uh, the first one is Where Did It All Go Wrong? And the second one is uh, Shot by Both Sides. Yeah. But you've got another book coming out. I've, yes, it's, uh, it, it is finished. I decided not to release it this year. Um, just because it's not the greatest year to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's called "If There's a Hell Below, We're All Gonna Go," uh, and it's uh, from from the Curtis Mayfield song, and it's uh, further adventures that they've done in creative, creative advertising. So it's a kind of uh, follow up to book one. Um, so if you enjoyed that one, then t- yeah, it's uh, it's similar in nature. So lots of punk rock. Uh, psychology, philosophy, and advertising, and self-deprecating uh, stuff. You know. So, so more of what we love. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and for people who like sort of you know obscure sort of uh, musings on uh, postmodern art, then the second book that's the one for you. <laughs> So, look, thank you very much for uh, making time to catch up. I've really appreciated the conversation. Me too. Thanks very much. Um, Just, uh, I want to ask you a personal question. You do make the statement somewhere that you, when you're a creative director, you realise that you weren't going to be a great creative director. Is there something that particularly made that uh, realisation hit you? (laughs) 